Good evening, everyone. It is good to see all of your smiling faces this Sabbath evening. And it is a privilege, and it is a great joy to be here with you. You can't understand how excited I am. I grew up here in Loma Linda. And in the years that I have lived here, there has never been something like this. This is a recent development. You've heard it already. I don't need to explain it anymore. Something great is happening. And tonight, we can be a part of it. And tonight, as we study the Bible, I pray that you will put all distractions out of your mind. All cell phones off. Notice I didn't say vibrate. It is better to have them off and tucked away if your friend next to you is the type that will nudge you and talk to you, tell them to keep their comments to themselves tonight. And if you are easy, dis easily distracted, pray now that the Lord will keep you awake. And for my sake, as we, open our, as we open the word, I invite you to bow your heads just one more time as we pray. Father in heaven, this evening we ask for dunamis. We ask that your spirit will fill us, empower us, and change us so that we may be the final generation. Bless us this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Return your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 26. This is an account of a beautiful story. The children of Israel has been taken out of captivity in Egypt, and they have gone through the wilderness, and now they are at the border of Canaan. Just a few days' journey, and they will be in the promised land. There they stood, waiting, eagerly, anticipating, thinking, what is just over that border? And so they got together, 12 men, Leaders from each tribe of Israel gathered them together and sent them as spies into the land to see what this land was like. What was God having in store for them? And we pick up the story in verse 26 of Numbers 13 when the spies are returning. It says, And they went and came to Moses. Excuse me, let's begin in verse 23. And they came unto the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they buried between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence, and they returned from searching the land after forty days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran and to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and showed unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. In verse 27, words that should thrill our souls with hope. 
It says, And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is a fruit of it. The land of Canaan. More lush, more fruitful, more abundant than their wildest imagination. It was better than they could have even imagined in the, in the farthest quarters of their minds. And God had this in store for them. And not only did God promise them by words only, they had the physical evidence. The grapes were there, the pomegranates were there, the figs were there, the spies saw it with their own 24 eyes. They knew what was in store for them. It was better than anything. Anything they have ever seen. And there they were, on the border of Canaan land. And friends, where are we today? Can you smell those grapes coming over the border of Canaan? Can you close your eyes and just feel the, the figs between your teeth? The pomegranate juice squirting in your mouth. Canaan is within our grasp. Just a couple days more journey and we will be there. Friends, Canaan is within our grasp. Just like the spies came back, God sent us a prophet, Ellen White, who brought back the grapes from Canaan. She saw in vision, you can read in early writings, heaven. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, she said, that I could fly away and be at rest. Heaven is so close. Friends, can you taste it? Can you smell it? Can you hear the birds singing over the Jordan? But friends, as good as this story sounds, it doesn't end there. It continues in verse 28. Verse 28, Nevertheless, these are the spies continuing to speak, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover we saw the children of Anak there, the Malachites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now who are these people again? These were the leaders of Israel, the leaders from each tribe. And what were they doing? They were planting doubt in the mind of the congregation. Influential, reputable people within the church of God planting doubts. It is too hard to be ready for Jesus to come. The gospel can't go to the whole world. Think of it. Our church population to the world population, it's not possible. Jesus didn't really mean what he said when he says, I'll come back for you. The second coming is Jesus coming to our hearts. The influential, reputable leaders of the church planting doubts in the mind. But Caleb speaks in verse 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. 
Caleb stood up. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. With opposition comes an entrenchment in their error and in their folly. Notice what they say in verse 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone, uh, gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. Now wait a minute. They just brought back the fruits, the grapes and the pomegranates and the figs, and they were lush and beautiful and delicious and big. And what do they say? This is a land that eats up its inhabitants. And in the same breath they say that giants dwell in the land. Sometimes when we are opposed, opposed and we know that we're wrong because somebody is, is, is threatening our pride, we become entrenched in our position and we go further than what we would say otherwise. And this is exactly what happened. Leaders within the movement, entrenched in positions so far as to lie about the clear facts that they have seen with their own eyes. And rebellion began. Rebellion began within the people of God within just a small handful of influential men and women. In this case, just men, but in our day today, perhaps, perhaps, some of us fall into that category. Perhaps some of us here tonight have been guilty of causing rebellion in the land. Numbers 14, verse 1. And the congregation, notice the result of the ten men upon the congregation. The congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be praying? Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. The congregation, although they have seen the facts, although they have seen the evidence of the goodness of the land, Although they had the promise of God's word, although they had the evidence of God's leading in the past, they believed the false reports. And this should teach us something about human nature. Human nature naturally grasps, naturally is inclined towards negativity. We are naturally pessimistic. We are naturally faithless. We are naturally unable to see beyond the simp simple 
facts that are before us and look to the grander scheme of things in the big picture. Human nature, frail and weak as it is, exhibited here, although they were on the border of the grandest dream that they have ever had. The whole congregation murmured against Moses and against Caleb and against Joshua. Not only that, the congregation, they forgot. They forgot the plain leading of God. They forgot the plagues of Egypt. They forgot the crossing through the Red Sea. They forgot looking back and seeing Pharaoh's armies drowned in the waters which through they just passed. They forgot the leading when God gave them sweet water out of the bitter water of Marah. They forgot the leading of God. They forgot the daily raining down of manna. They forgot the withholding of the manna once a week on the Sabbath day. They forgot the plain evidences of God. But what did they remember? They remembered Egypt. Were it not better for us in Egypt, they said. They remembered the onions and the leeks and the anchovies and they remembered the food of Egypt. They remembered the amusements of Egypt. They remembered the pagan practices of Egypt. They remembered the immorality and immodesty of Egypt. They remembered the fun times that they had in Egypt. They remembered the friends that they had in Egypt. They, They remembered living life without the law of God in Egypt but they forgot the slavery in Egypt. And brothers and sisters, today, although we have evidence from the Word of God what He has prepared for us, although we have the pen of inspiration through the prophetic ministry of Ellen White showing us what is in store for us in the future, we think that this world has so much good for us that we remember this world and we forget We remember the amusements. We remember the food. We remember the sinful pleasures. But we forget the slavery that sin has in our life. Sin in the life is bondage. And God is leading us, guiding us, showing us a better land where the shackles of sin will never bind his people again. They forgot the leading of God, but they remembered the sin of Egypt. But then in verse 6, notice what happens. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will give it, bring us into this land and give it us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. And the congregation bade stone them with stones. 
And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. While the whole congregation was running in the way of rebellion, as they were running away from the plain evidences of God, two men stood up. Two young men. Men by the name of Joshua and Caleb. They stood up and said, No! Stop what you are doing. God promised us this land. And if He delights in us, He will give us this land. Only fear ye not the people. And if I may infer, look into what he was really saying, Joshua and Caleb is saying, do not fear the people, but fear God. And I might even add, if they were here today, they would even say, fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. There is a message that needs to be given to this church on the border of Canaan. And where are, are the Joshua's and Caleb's today? Where are the two men that is willing to stand up and say, stop what you are doing, thus says the Lord, He has promised. He will do as He has said. Fear not the people, but fear God. The land is exceeding good, and we are able to possess it. Where is Joshua? Where is Caleb? Where are these faithful young men today? The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Where are these young men? Young men that is willing to call sin by its right name. Willing to preach the thus saith the Lord, even though the congregation bade stone them. Where is Joshua and where is Caleb? Let me say something personal to you. Perhaps this may make you feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to say it anyway. If we don't find, let me say, if God cannot find Joshua's and Caleb's in a meeting like this here tonight, where will he find them? If there are not one or two faithful young men and young women here tonight, where will they come from? Young men, young women who have heard the Word of God, who understand the Bible, who have heard sermons until it comes out of their ears, who have lived up in the Adventist ghetto of Loma Linda, if there are no faithful young people here, where is God going to go? Where is Joshua? And where is 
Caleb today? Can we say that we will be Joshua and that we will be Caleb? You know, inspiration tells us that if there were ten men that were in favor of claiming Canaan and only two that were against it, that the congregation would have still had the same reaction. The same reaction. And you know something? There must have been at least a couple others among that congregation of two million plus people that knew what folly they were doing. There must have been some other people that knew where they were going. They knew that they were doing something wrong. That knew that they were going to lose Canaan. But where were they? They kept silence. And there are people in the church today, although they see problems within their family, they see problems within their church, they see problems within their own life, they keep silence. For whatever reason it may be, sometimes they keep silence because they are worried about being nice. We're worried about being nice more than being truthful and taking responsibility, the duty of the duty that God has given us. Sometimes we keep silence because we just want to be nice. Sometimes we keep silence because we just don't know. Because we have not spent the time in the Word of God. Sometimes because we just have not studied things out for ourselves. We have not spent the time in meditation and prayer. That we can't say anything, but we know that it's wrong. Somehow, but we can't prove it. Sometimes we keep silence because we don't want to be labeled as narrow-minded. Or bigoted. Or intolerant. We keep silence because we don't want people to think that we are fanatics or legalists. But friends, there is a difference between being tolerant and being irresponsible. We need to be responsible to the word. The truth is the truth, regardless of what label people put on it. Intolerance or bigotry or fanaticism the truth has been labeled all of those things. That's no excuse for us to keep silent in the time of crisis. Notice what it says in Third Testimonies, Testimonies, Volume 3, page 280. It says, If God abhors one sin above another, of which his people are guilty, it is doing nothing in case of an emergency. Indifference and neutrality in a religious crisis is regarded of God as a grievous crime and equal to the very worst type of hostility against God. Let me say it one more time. Indifference and neutrality in a religious crisis is regarded of God as a grievous crime and equal to the very worst type of hostility against God. 
In the time of a religious crisis, if we say nothing, if we don't do anything, if we just keep silence, if we just try to be nice, it is labeled as the worst crime against God. And here we are, keeping silent when we see error and apostasy creeping in. Keeping silence when the church is marching back through the wilderness into the courts of Egypt. We keep silence. And that is the worst type of hostility against God. Forty years more in the wilderness, the people wandered. Because men and women were not willing to stand like Joshua and Caleb. Where is Joshua? Where is Caleb? Let us look now in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11. This is our scripture reading for tonight. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. So often we ask, how long before Jesus comes? How long before the National Sunday Law? How long before the close of probation? How long before we have to run to the mountains? How long before we have to do this and such and this and such will happen? How long, we ask. But friends, we are in no place to ask that question. God is asking, how long? How long before Joshua and Caleb will stand? How long will the people of Israel keep silence in the moment of crisis? How long will, will, will Israel be satisfied in the shackles of Egypt? How long will they provoke me with their lethargicness, with their lukewarmness, how long will they be satisfied in the sins of their life? How long? How long will they continue to justify and rationalize their sin and their error? How long will they continue to follow the world in their entertainment, in their recreation, in their mode of earning a living, in their interests, how long will they continue to develop relationships that are weak and insipid like the world? How long will they continue to waste their body away with, with a less than ideal diet? How long? Not only that, how long will they, how long before they remember the signs that I have showed them? How long, God? How long before they will remember how he had raised this church up? How long before they will remember the trials that he has brought this church through? How long before they remember that this church still stands despite Satan's most valiant efforts? How long before they remember? How long before they remember the signs 
that they have showed us. The question uppermost that God has in his mind now is the question, how long? How long before his people will return to him and to seek him with all of their heart? How long? What was the result? What was the result of this rebellion of God's people? God offered Moses to wipe them out off the face of this planet. And don't they think they deserve it? Be careful what you say. God in his mercy spared the nation of Israel in the same way that he is sparing us today. God is waiting for us. He has given us another chance. Moses prayed for the people and interceded on their behalf and God spared them. And God honored the faithful among, amongst the rebellious. And what did God say? Verse, 20, verse 28, verse 27, let's begin. God says, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms, until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness." After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. God is good at answering prayer requests. He not only answered the prayer of Moses to spare the people, but he answered the prayer of the people to die in the wilderness. Be careful what we say in our minds. Lest God in his justice and his mercy give us the desire of our hearts. But God says, God says, those of you from 20 years old and upward will need to wander for 40 more years and perish in the wilderness. This has special significance to me. You know why? Because I just turned 20 years old. I can understand the fear that must have went through the heart of those people when God spoke those words. Another 40 years. For what? For a momentary, a momentary slip in reason? In a momentary, perhaps, 
impulsive reaction? I don't know. But the fact is that God led the Israel nation back into the wilderness for another 40 years. Will we rebel and return into the wilderness for another 40 years? I'm 20 years old. I want to go to Canaan, don't you? Where's Joshua? Where's Caleb? Where is the final generation? They need to stand. Or else we will do another lap in the wilderness just like Israel did. And you know, I have a fear. I have a fear that one of these days I will look into the eyes of my children and I will look into their eyes and I will have to say, I'm sorry that you have to grow up on this miserable, sin-filled planet. I had the option. My generation could have finished the work. We could have claimed the promised land. We were on the borders of Canaan, but we rebelled. And we turned back into the wilderness for another 40 years. And now that's why you have to grow up. You have to get sick. You have to deal with sin. You have to live in a difficult situation where it is not safe to walk in the streets at night. I don't want that to happen. Now is the time. How long? How long? Can we answer that question? The answer to that question cannot be given verbally. It must be given through our life. Through our life each day. Are we saying, God, we want to be the part of the final generation now? Or are we willing to turn back to the wilderness for another 40 years? How long? How long before Joshua and Caleb will stand? But the story is not without promise. Although the nation of Israel returned to the wilderness for 40 more years, the fact in history, the fact in the Word of God is that a generation did enter Canaan. Just like a nation of Israel went across the Jordan, a generation will enter heavenly Canaan. And friends, that generation might as well be ours. Why wait another 40 years? Things aren't going to get any better in this world. Our generation is the weakest, the most immoral, the most spineless, the most cowardly, the most disloyal, the most rebellious, the most wicked of all generations previous, but yet this is the generation that God wants to bring into Canaan. This is the generation that He wants to raise up to see God come back without entering the grave. This is the generation that 
He's not preparing just to sleep in a coffin somewhere. This is the generation he's preparing to be translated. And this is our generation. And are we going to just sit idly by, keeping silence, twiddling our thumbs, thinking that someone else will do the work? We need to stand. We need to be Joshua. And we need to be Caleb today. A promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 gives us hope that we are not waiting or looking or preparing in vain. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Are we looking at things that are not seen today? Are we looking forward to the future where we can have those grapes of Canaan, where we can eat the pomegranates and the figs, and we will not have to worry about the shackles of Egypt any longer? Friends, tonight, we have decisions to be made. Decisions need to be made. I know that there are those in this congregation that perhaps have not made the decision to give their life fully over to the Lord. Perhaps there are those here that have been waffling, not knowing what to do, thinking that someday, somehow, something will happen to them that will get them ready for heaven. But tonight they realize that they need to make that decision now. And that it needs to be an active decision, not just something we decide in our minds, but something that needs to be exhibited in our life. And there are people here tonight that need to make decisions. And so, I, so as I appeal to you tonight, I invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and bow your heads. May this be a decision just between you and God. Nobody is looking at you. Just between you and the Lord tonight. The appeal, the first appeal tonight was for those who have not made the decision in their life to give everything to God. They realize that they have been flirting with Egypt and they have not surrendered all to Jesus. And they realize that they are not ready to enter Canaan and that they are keeping silence in the camp because they know that they are not ready. But tonight, you want to make that decision to give everything to the Lord. If you are among that number, if you want to make that decision, I invite you to raise your hand right now. To give everything to the Lord so that He may work in you. God bless you, brothers and sisters. The next appeal are for those who have seen in their own life that they have been leading people astray. Then whatever it is that they've been doing in their life, they have been leading people into rebellion from rejecting the plain evidence of the leading of God, causing them to be satisfied in sin, 
rationalizing, justifying the error and, and apostasy in their life. Perhaps there are those in this congregation tonight that are among those. If you are among them, raise your hand. The Lord sees you, and He understands the desire of an honest heart, and He is willing to help you change. God bless you, brothers and sisters. God has heard you. And for the next appeal, this is for those who have seen problems around them. They have seen church members. They have seen friends. They have seen families slipping into the demise of error. And they have kept silent. They have known that something is going wrong, but they did not say anything that they were sitting idly by while they saw what was going on. And they now tonight have understood that they were committing the greatest hostility against God. If you have seen those things happen, if you are amongst those, raise your hand. God sees your hand. And God is ready to forgive. But more than that, God is willing to help you to change, to be able to stand and to speak in the time of crisis. God bless you, brothers and sisters. And finally, our appeal tonight is for those of us here in this congregation who want to stand like Joshua and Caleb, who want to stand though the heavens fall, who want to have consciences clear, who are willing to call sin by its right name, who are willing to lead the children of Israel into Canaan, if you are amongst those numbers tonight, if you desire to be amongst the 144,000, if you want to be one of them, please stand to your feet tonight. As we join together, making this commitment that by the grace of God and by the power of Christ, Working in us and through us, we will be a part of the final generation. God bless you, brothers and sisters. May we stand not just because others are standing, but because this is a true, honest, sincere desire in our heart. God has seen us tonight, and He wants to do something great. He wants to give us the dunamis to finish the work. Father in heaven tonight, as we have reviewed the history of your people, as we have seen how they have fallen short of your high standard, we realize that we are no better than them. If anything, we are worse but Lord, tonight, tonight we have decided, we have purposed in our hearts that we want to be a part of the final generation. Not just the final generation somehow tagging in on the coattails of someone else, because that will never do, but that we will be as Joshua and Caleb who will stand, though the congregation bade to stone us. 
that we will stand though we be the only one that we will stand although family and friends and pastor and church members and elders turn against us we will stand and Lord we confess our ineptness we ask that your spirit will come to grant us dunamis to fill us that we may be able to stand not in our power but in the power of the indwelling Christ Lord we long we long to see you come we long to see you come not just as anybody that will see you come but we long to see you come without ever entering the grave Lord we know we can't do that only you doing it in us. So tonight, Lord, your people are standing. Joshua's and Caleb's who will commit their life to you that no matter where you call us, what you ask us to do, that we will be faithful unto death. Bless us this weekend. Bless us this Sabbath. May your spirit be here with us. And may he not leave, but may he continue to fall in latter rain proportions. That the gospel may be taken to the whole world in this generation. We love you, Lord. And may we stand tonight. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.